I had a manager who I'm grateful for now. We had a very interesting relationship, but he would teach our acting classes and he'd always tell me, you're too old, it's not gonna happen for you. And I, I, took, his, I took his words as fact and, and I carried that with me into those rooms, you know what I mean? But I never took in the inventory of the fact that I was invited into those rooms. Welcome to the Lend Me Your Lens podcast, a place to kick back and enjoy conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Corey Emanuel. Trell Gitchery, actor, model, DJ, and now the writer and star of the short film Grimshaw. Welcome to Lend Me Your Lens. How's it going? It's going good. Glad to have you here. Uh, uh, glad so to let's be here. so let's let's dive right in. Let's start at the beginning. You grew up here in Long Beach, California, Seal Beach. Yeah. So did you know growing up, did you have any aspirations that you would become the creator that you are today? When I was a kid, I th- I think it just all kind of started out with imagination. Uh, you know, growing up in a, a single parent household. Um, you know, my, my sister was a little bit older, so she was, she was always at school, and she'd watch us from time to time. My brother and I were always home alone, uh, and, and it, when your situation, I guess, this doesn't always seem so favorable, um, I would watch the television, and it started out with cartoons that I really liked, and I'd watch the TV, and I used to always wish and imagine that I could hop inside of the TV and live inside of of that world because it just seemed nicer or, or a little bit better than than the world I was living in. And I, I really thought that if I wished hard enough um, that I could actually do that. Yeah. Like I really, I really did growing up. So when people see you, they see a brother, Yeah, you know? So tell me a little bit about your family makeup, your family background. Yeah. Uh, you know, thank you for some people don't even know, think I'm, you know, black anymore. They, they don't even see, see a black guy. They'll see like a Palestinian Israeli guy or, or I've gotten uh, Cuban, Puerto Rican, which is right. pretty much black. So I'm, I'm cool with that jokes. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, my mom's white. My dad, dad was black. And, uh, yeah, so I, growing up like that, I got to see kind of an interesting aspect of both worlds. You know, uh, my, my dad's side of the family wasn't really from favorable neighborhoods, you know. So, you know, so I'd have moments where I'd be in North Long Beach um, staying when I, when I had the chicken pox or, you know, I'd go be, I, I'd, I'd be visiting my cousins in Compton and you, you couldn't walk, we couldn't go off the lawn because there was a crack house across the street. Mm-hmm. But then my mom, really did her best to make sure that we lived in, I guess, a, a, a nicer neighborhood. So we were the, uh, you know, apartment kids in a town filled with kids who had nicer houses in predominantly white area. So basically a black boy coming out of Long Beach, now this, this model, this actor, this DJ, did you set out to really do any one particular thing and then these other things evolved what was sort of like that first string of okay i'm gonna do this what i always wanted to do was was act and and, um you know it was from a very young age uh i had little moments like i did a play when i was in fifth grade um 
but I think I was, you know, I was afraid to actually pursue something, you know, especially, um, you know, throughout my life, I felt like a lot of things let me down, you know, whether it was people or whether it was things that I was pursuing from, from childhood to, to adulthood. So it was, it was, there was this kind of a lack of ownership with acting. So everything else was kind of a place filler until I, I finally embraced the fact like this is, this is what I want to do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. So this is a hard business, right? And I think sometimes, particularly when you're young and you're thinking, okay, I want to pursue acting. You're not always aware of the realities of what that really looks like in terms of a lifestyle. So can you sort of speak to maybe some of the hurdles that you've had to jump or, you know, what, what has been perhaps some barriers that you had to overcome? Uh, I think one of the biggest hurdles, I mean, it was always, it was always like what I interpreted, um, you know, the way I interpreted other people's views on the business was my biggest hurdle. Uh, you know, growing up again, you know, referring to the fact that I didn't have a dad, I'd, I'd look for mentors and sometimes I would look for mentors and not the most amazing places mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh i've had mentors that were bitter about their own careers not mm-hmm. becoming what they thought they were going to be mm-hmm. uh but i think so so i got scouted to model uh when i was like t- 23 and um this model manager i did this photo shoot and and uh uh you know, we put together a book and stuff and he presented me to all these agencies and all these agencies passed at first. And I, and I said, I said, how come, you know? Uh, and he said, um, because all these agencies already have one of you, mm. you know, like at that moment, it was like, you have one mixed guy, mm. you have one black guy, you have a couple of Latinos, and then there's 50 to 100 white guys on the board and I just thought that that's how it was going to be so you know I feel like um, the human mind is usually the most uh, you know the human mind is the most inhibiting thing that you have uh, you know or or can be the most inhibiting thing outside of any other circumstance so I just kind of created the story like oh you know I'd research companies and I'd be like, oh, they already have one, one guy, they're not mm. gonna take me. They already have one mixed guy, they're not gonna take me. And that kind of trickled into acting, right. you know? Right. I had a manager at, for a while, when I got into acting, it like really buckled down and pursued acting at the age of 24. I had a manager going, oh, uh, there's not gonna be many roles for you, you know mm. what I mean? Cause you're not white. Mm. And then also, uh, I'm 24 years old and he's telling me I'm, I'm too old to, to hop in the business. Mm. But later on, I'm finding out that it was because, you know, he was told that he was too old when he tried to mm. act. And that's kind of how his career, you know, unfolded for him. Right. And now he's a, a bitter manager, right. Right. you know? So you're, that's the perfect segue into talking about creating opportunities for yourself, right? Yeah. Like you already talked about how you said, okay, this is happening in the modeling world. How can I now create some new, new avenues for me as a talent? And so you created this role 
for you out of the short film Grimshaw. So can you kind of talk to me about why this particular story was the one that you wanted to sort of lead with as your first film? Uh, well, it, even before that, um, with acting, it, I'd get close to bigger roles and it just wouldn't hap it wasn't happening at that moment. So um, I started creating before Grimshaw and, and it kind of, the writing and creating aspect kind of was very serendipitous and very, it just kind of flowed effortlessly for me. And it, and it opened, up to my, opened up my eyes to kind of a new opportunity of, of you know, another a facet of, of what I should be doing. Uh, you know, I was, I had a friend, very successful actress, and uh, Funny or Die wants, wanted to produce something around her, you know, produce a sketch around her. And the way Funny or Die works is when there's an emerging star, uh, they have connections with the biggest agency, William Morris, mm. CAA, UTA, all those companies. It's, it's, and they're able to produce a sketch around that emerging star. And mm. it kind of you know, works out for both the star and Funny or Die. Right. And she brought me into a meeting and uh, we were trying to come up with ideas for this, uh, for this actress. And she goes, you know, we're sitting there with the, we're in a boardroom. I'm, I'm actually very nervous of, and wondering like if I even belong in this room. And there's the producer, uh, you know, another producer for Funny or Die and, and so, a couple other people kind of standing in the wings taking notes and she's sitting there blurting out ideas and then she goes, hey, he's really funny. Uh, he has a couple ideas, you know, uh, you know, listen to him. <laughs> and everybody's looking at me kind of like all eyes on me. Right. And, uh, you know, I just blurted out one one idea I had. She, you know, this actress is half black, half Jewish, and I, I used to make fun of her for having the worst of both stereotypes. So it was right around the time that song Black and Yellow came out. And I was like, hey, let's let's do a nice. parody song called Black and Jewish. Nice. <laughs> and uh, they hired a great writer named uh, James Davis, yeah. and they just took my concept, and it was literally like, oh, this is great. We'll do it. Shut it down, have my vomits for a KFC. Black and Jewish, black and Jewish, black and Jewish, black and Jewish. Um, I got a creator credit from that, and then from there, uh, I wrote another sketch, and I sent it to the same producer, and two weeks later, you know, I, th I thought it was terrible. Two weeks later, I get a phone call, hey, we'll do this. Um, we'll give you X amount of budget, hire your crew, you can star in it, cast, whatever. So I, mm -hmm. I put myself in it. And that was kind of my introduction to, yeah. to creating. Yeah. And that, that gave me the credibility to kind of snowball into doing Grimshaw. Got you. So there seems to be now sort of this pattern of finding real life things to make funny, to talk about in a serious manner. So do you feel like that's sort of your niche or your, your sweet spot as a creator is to take real life things that are happening to you and turn them into a story? Yeah, 100%. I feel like, I feel like every, you know, every creator has to put 
the, themselves into their project because people want to see authenticity. Right. You know, it's an energy thing. Right. You can feel when someone's being true and being real. It's the same reason why you can watch uh, one of those shows, American Idol, mm -hmm. and you can hear somebody singing whose voice is perfectly fine. Right. It's very well, you know, fine-tuned. They've, they've practiced probably a lot but whatever song they're singing, there's no connection, so you don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas someone whose voice may not be as classically trained as the person before right. comes on stage, but for some reason you can feel them. Right. And you go, okay, that makes sense. Right. You right. know, I, so with, with everything I do, there is gonna be, there, there, there's always gonna be truth in it. Yeah, yeah, you know? beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, a lot of people may not know what the term Grimshaw actually means. So explain to us what Grimshaw, Grimshaw the title of your film, actually means. So uh, Grimshaw is a chess term, and it's, it's where uh, two black pieces arriving on a particular square mutually interfere with each other. Yeah. Okay. And just, uh, I can't take full credit for that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so when I wrote the script, I had a producer come on who, uh, um, we, were, we were struggling with the title. And we're, you know, he kept asking me, you know, what, what is this, what is this? I'm like, well, you got, you, you have the lead who wants to be loved and you have the, 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 co, you know, the co-star who wants an opportunity to, to, to mend his past and mm -hmm. fix it, you know what I mean? Um, and, and we kept going back and forth, and finally, he he sends a text message to our to our group chat, and uh, the term Grimshaw pops up, mm -hmm. and I read it, and I'm like, wow, this is it's perfect. this is perfect. You got, you know, two black pieces. They're they're on the same team. They're right. on the same side, but for some reason. They, they can't find that common ground. Right. I've had the pleasure of, of being able to, to see the film and I thought it was so emotional, so raw, so gripping. But now you talked earlier about your relationship with your dad a little and I know you spoke in past tense um, because he's no longer with us. Yeah. But how much of Grimshaw is a reflection of your actual life? Uh, shoot, well, there's just, there's certain connections, for instance, like, um, you know, my dad was addicted to some, uh, uh, to, he was addicted to substance, excuse me, and, uh, you know, grew up during the late 80s, early 90s, during the crack cocaine epidemic in, in Los Angeles, and he's one of those, uh, he was one of the men of color, you know, out of the sea, you know, the sea of black people who, and, and not just black people, but anyone in the marginalized communities that fell victim to this addiction. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so growing up, I didn't realize till later how serious it was when I would look back on moments and, and recall certain things like him bringing me places with him, le you know, leaving me in apartments uh, alone while he went out and did whatever he was doing. So there's, there's little sprinkles of, of that in there, but it's, it's more or less the overall story of how deeply affected one can be mm. when they have a loved one, family member, friend, lover, uh, who is addicted to substance mm. and how, how much they are affected by it, mm. you know? 
Like I was deeply affected uh, by my father's addiction. Um, and my brother was also uh, addicted to substance as well, deeply affected by that. And it, it's, it was unconscious for a while yeah. how, how affected I was. Right. Yeah, so I, 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 I pushed that into the story. Yeah. Um, so you've talked a lot about your successes and aligning yourself to the right people. Um, but talk to me about maybe some of the times or the moments that haven't been so great and maybe where you second-guessed yourself and wondered, can I really sustain myself in this industry? I, I think, you know, the, the most beautiful part about this, this business is um, it's, consistent, it's, it's constant growth. You know, it really is, especially being an artist, an actor, a writer, it is constant growth. Like, where else can I take this? How much further can I take this? Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna dip into those unfavorable moments, but you know, I was talking to my I was talking to my girlfriend the other night, you know, and I was just having another one of those moments where I was like, hey, man, I can't wait for it to be like this. I can't wait for it to do this type of project. I can't wait till I finish this so I can do this. And she's like, she's like, wow. She's like, that's so funny because you know you're flying out to shoot for companies all the time. Uh, you just did a TV show at the beginning of the year. You did one last year. He's like, she's like, um, wow, can you imagine probably like three years ago? You're like, wow, I, I just, I, I can't wait till I just have a moment where I get on a TV show, whether I'm just the high guy where I'm walking by and saying hello, I'll be happy with that. I can't wait till I'm, you know, consistently booking work, whether it's, this job or this job and now you're doing that and you already want something else yeah so so you know kind of relish in this moment yeah so gratitude for it yeah uh i think you know that's what's really supported me in the unfavorable moments uh but in the past there was a lot of times where i did hit a very dark place you know you when when you're trying just making it through the day and your bank account is negative 500 whatever dollars you know what I mean when I'm when I wasn't booking any jobs no matter how much acting class I took going into mm -hmm. debt taking acting classes mm -hmm. studying studying and studying uh, you know to the point where you know I thought something was wrong with me. Mm. And um, it wasn't until I really started working on myself, you know, discovering who I, who I, who I am, who I want to be as an artist, that's when things started to change. Mm. But uh, I think all, even in those dark moments, if I were to look at something to be grateful for, um, there was one time where I was in Atlanta and I went to Atlanta because I thought it would be easier to book jobs. Yeah. I heard, you know, it was right when Tyler Perry started his studios out there and, and uh, you know, Walking Dead started out there, all these, all these jobs. So I went to Atlanta to, for four months to try to book work and I wasn't booking anything, not even callbacks. Mm. Uh, and I was on my knees crying into a pillow because I felt like I was a loser. I was like, this is 
it's not happening for me. And even after that, after I was done crying, wiped away my tears, I still couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do. Mm. Yeah. So I woke up the next morning, I took a breath, went back to class and continued to not book any work for the next four months. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Continued going at it. Right. You know? But now here you are. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, look, and I I had a lot of, and it's funny because, you know, I remember when I first got it scouted to to model, I I told my friends and they're like, you're not a model. And I took their their words as fact. Mm. It showed up with me in those rooms. Mm. I had a manager who I'm grateful for now, we had a very interesting relationship, but he would teach our acting classes and he'd always tell me, you're too old, it's not gonna happen for you. And I, I, took, his, I took his words as fact and, and I carried that with me into those rooms, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I never took in the inventory of the fact that I was invited into those rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you spoke a moment ago about, you know, those moments where you're not booking anything, but, but taking the opportunity to work on yourself. What have you discovered about yourself during some of those low moments? I mean, you know, that's, that's a long conversation. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing that I discovered was that within the circumstance I grew up in, I learned for myself, you know, and I, I want to speak in past tense because I, I, I let go of this belief, but I learned for myself in those moments, in those, circ- in those past circumstances, that I felt like I deserved scraps. And that all started with, you know, my relationship with my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, being second best to uh, his addiction, you know what I mean? Um, and that trickled into relationships, you know, even friendships, being, being second or allowing myself to be second in relationships with friendships, uh, girlfriends, work, just, just I, 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 I developed, and, I, and it was unconscious, I didn't realize it, but I would, I would take scraps because that's what I felt I, I deserved. And now, do you feel as though you're at that place where, you know, we all have our, our, our days where we're off a little bit, but do you feel like you've sort of found that thing, be it meditation, be it prayer, be it, you know, just surrounding yourself around good people that can, can pull you up during those times? Do you feel like you have that thing now that you can go to? Yeah, I, I you know, yes, I do. Um, I've learned to, I have amazing friends, you know, the friends that I I have really close to me. Um, And I also learned to not be so externally sourced. Mm. And what I mean by that is I used to get filled up by what other people thought of me. I would get filled up by whatever objects I was getting. I would get filled up by the jobs that I was booking, you know, because I allowed it to validate who I am as a person. And I have grown into not being so externally sourced. How are you using your life 
to give back to others? Uh, you know, well, personally, um, I mean, I, ment I mentor every Friday at Martin Luther King Elementary School. Uh, and I've also uh, created little workshops with one of my mentors, and we put them on at, at uh, the Covenant House Transitional Living for, for uh, kids that are transitioning out of foster care, as well as um, uh, sex trafficked, mm. uh, you know, ex, not ex drug addicts, but currently are, are sober from addiction. Um, and then, um, you know, I've had other little, uh, you know, I've kind of developed a reputation between my friends um, that I'm, you know, I'm like kind of like the volunteer guy. So I've had comp um, my friends that own reputable companies have, have presented me the opportunity to be able to gift kids with shoes, mm -hmm. with, with clothing, um, raising funds, stuff like that. Yeah. All right, so tell our, our viewers where they can follow you and, and learn more about the work that you're doing. You can follow uh, Grimshaw's journey at, uh, at G-R-I-M-S-H-A-W-F-I-L-M, Grimshaw Film. And then you can follow my journey at C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L-G-U-I-D-R-Y. So at Cottrell Guidry and at Grimshaw Film. All right. Thanks, brother. Uh, thank you.